This program is made possible by the support of the members of the show. For details or to sign up, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Daily Show, The Rachel Maddow Show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Le Show, Counterspin, The Jimmy Dore Show, The Progressive, Real Time with Bill Maher, On the Media, The Young Turks, and The BBC News Quiz. With a bonus video clip for our iPhone app users from The Colbert Report. Good news, it is now clear that there is an awful lot of oil in our earth. It is awful. Hey, hey, thank a dinosaur today. It is also now clear that BP's latest idea to solve the oil leak by waiting for Aquaman to talk dolphins into stuffing themselves into it May not work. <laughs> Biggest seahorses I have ever seen. We've been gone 16 days. When we left, the spill looked like this. Now it looks like this. <laughs> the only thing they've been able to accomplish in 16 days is a more flattering camera angle. For God's sakes, there hasn't been that much petroleum on a lens since Diane Sawyer and Barbara Walters co-interviewed Barbara Streisand. <laughs> It was, it was like watching angels sitting on the sun <laughs> while they were showered with mucus. <laughs> now, they've tried a couple of different ways to fix this damn thing. There was a top hat idea where they were going to put a dome over the whole thing, and uh, that didn't work. And uh, then there was the junk shot, where they tried to fill the pipe with mud and golf balls and trash, and that didn't work. Although, on the plus side, we did fill the Gulf of Mexico with mud, golf balls, and trash. <laughs> After that, they tried something even more unorthodox, something called the gloop shot. They clogged the pipe with a morbidly obese German <laughs> child that held him for a while, and then... No! Augustus, mein Kinder! Damn you, pipe. We gave you gloop. Is there no end to your restless appetite? And then as we went on the uh, break there, a new idea emerged, Top Kill. Process of stuffing the pipe with mud, capping it with cement, which is not to be confused with Bravo's new show, Top Kill, a reality competition for aspiring assassins hosted by Rebecca Romaine and G. Gordon Liddy. <laughs> I'm sorry, G. Gordon Liddy Stamos. Is he still, does he still use the Stamos? I know she dropped it, but did he drop it as well? Everybody drops the Stamos eventually. <laughs> So, how did the old top kill work out? BP announced just a short time ago that the effort has failed. Son of a bitch! <laughs> that does it. If top kill, the coolest possible containment strategy didn't work, what do we do? This operation will involve taking a very clean cut with a diamond saw by the robots. This is being done at 5,000 feet with robots. We have underwater robots with diamond saws. And you went with that sixth? Because robots with diamond saws 
Sounds like the first thing I try. <laughs> yeah, uh, here's your problem here. It looks like uh, filling a pipe there with garbage and uh, mud didn't work. <laughs> you know, I was thinking, we got these uh, laser-guided uh, diamond saw robots. <laughs> I was thinking maybe we might try them out. <laughs> or we could try stuffing more in the pipe. <laughs> but fear not, America, the president of the United States of America is on the case! I'm not going to rest or be satisfied until the leak is stopped. No sleep, no satisfaction. He will be on this thing 24 hours a day right after celebrating the great Connecticut Huskies Women's Basketball National Championship. <laughs> Anybody here majored in uh, oil leaks? Anybody? Anybody? All right, back to the spill. I ultimately take responsibility for solving this crisis. Unfortunately, I'm also a little late for my Jewish American Heritage Month celebration, yes! <laughs> See, Jews invented Hanukkah because the oil lasted eight days. Imagine what we could do <laughs> with something that lasts 43, 43 days. That's a lot of dreidling. <laughs> Back to the spill. It is my job to make sure that everything is done to shut this down. But first, the new Blue Devils are here. We gotta give them a he honors the women's and men's NCAA tournament. Back to the spill. I'm the president, and the buck stops with me. Unfortunately, I left the buck at the Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month celebration. How much heritage and basketball bull do you have to do in a month? Get back to the mother spill. This has been our highest priority. Footage, footage. Please do not undercut the president. Mr. President, your interest in basketball has been well documented. How often do you get to come out here and play? I understand you gotta celebrate Heritage Months occasionally with your constituents, the national championship stuff, you're the president, but you made time for Marv Albert? <laughs> I wouldn't do that if I were unemployed for six months. Although it's possible the president's got a secret plan here. Maybe he wants to borrow Marv's toupee to wipe oil off seabirds. Yes! You know, can I tell you... Can I, can I tell you my favorite part of that picture? Uh, the president's just stunned look. I can't believe I'm... Can't believe I have to do this. I can't believe I don't have someone that does this for me. Look, the president has said that his top priority is the oil spill. He said that in May 2010. You know, I made a very similar pronouncement in May 2009 for another pressing issue. Healthcare reform is a key priority to this presidency. That's why I will not rest until the dream of healthcare reform is finally achieved in the United States of America. And 10 months later, we had it. So the oil should stop flowing <laughs> in March. <laughs> or to put that in terms, the president understands NCAA basketball tournament time.
President Carter created the Department of Energy and named its first secretary in 1977. See if this sounds familiar. The energy crisis has not yet overwhelmed us, but it will if we do not act quickly. We simply must balance our demand for energy with our rapidly shrinking resources. We must act quickly to balance our need for energy with the resources available. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger! Immediate action coming! Urgent! Urgent! Even then, when the Energy Department was being created in the late 70s, even then, those pretty words from a president, even then, were already old hat. A massive program must be initiated to increase energy supply, to cut demand and provide new standby emergency programs, to achieve the independence we want by 1985. Increasing energy supplies is not enough. We must take additional steps to cut long-term consumption. Energy independence by 1985, emergency programs, cut consumption, increase supplies. That was Gerald Ford speaking in 1975. That was even before Carter. That was even before the founding of the Energy Department. For my entire lifetime, the sure things in life have been death, taxes, and presidents promising that they have very urgent feelings about oil and energy. I could show you the same clips from Nixon and Reagan and, and Clinton and even from the most pro-oil president imaginable. Keeping America competitive requires affordable energy. And here we have a serious problem. America is addicted to oil. It's, it sounds great, right? It's great politics. It sounds great for presidents to talk about getting us off oil. They all say it. Then when it comes to making policy, they tend to do things like having the head of the oil services company they've named as vice president convene literally secret meetings with an energy task force made up of oil companies to write the nation's actual energy policies. Politicians love to talk tough about oil and energy. They also love to not rock the boat too much. And the boat, such as it is, floats on a sea of oil. President Obama does not have a Dick Cheney, and nobody thinks that his energy secretary, Stephen Chu, wants to abolish his own department like Spencer Abraham did under George W. Bush. But as the Obama administration has tried to implement policies to goose the renewable energy sec sector, the last year and a half have provided a series of nightmarish energy headlines. Nightmarish headlines from the very, 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 very non-renewable side of energy. The upper big branch Massey coal mining disaster in West Virginia at the beginning of last month, 29 miners killed at a mine operated by a company known for proud, chauvinistic flaunting of regulations and a bald political interest in buying off people who might otherwise oversee them. A month before that, just a month earlier, the arrest in Yemen after a shootout of a man reportedly linked to al-Qaeda who had managed to get himself employed at a number of New Jersey nuclear power plants. What could possibly go wrong? And now this, the BP oil disaster in the Gulf of Mexico, still out of control, still not yet at the full reach of the disaster that it is still becoming every day. Oil, coal, nuclear, all industries that even when used as directed are fairly disastrous. All industries that we apparently as a nation are as yet incapable of regulating and overseeing so they can operate safely, by which I mean at a low level of environmental disaster. Now, the production of energy isn't tiddlywinks. We have something like 4.6% of the world's population, and we use more than 20% of the world's energy. Numbers like that, frankly, mean it's going to be a mess, regardless. 
But what's the plan for making it less of a mess? What's the plan for getting better, for making our energy situation less of a constant disaster? Not just the pretty words about energy independence and being a clean energy leader, like every president says. What's this administration actually doing? They are investing big time, particularly through the stimulus, in renewables, in wind and solar and, and geothermal and more. They are putting in place new fuel efficiency standards for vehicles that are way better than the old standards. For the first time, for example, they, they include big trucks, which seems smart. They also spent their first year in office approving lots of new mountaintop removal mining permits, which, if I were the kind of person who uses rape as a metaphor, I would use that metaphor to describe what mountaintop removal does to coal country. They are dramatically upscaling investment in nuclear power, even as our old plants leak and the security issues give even laymen like me nightmares, and there's nowhere to put the waste, including Yucca Mountain. And they're greenlighting more offshore drilling. Even now, greenlighting it routinely without environmental review, greenlighting it even at greater depths than the Deepwater Horizon well, which has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have no idea how to drill safely at that depth. Welcome to the brutal world of the most important policy issue in the world that no one can stand to talk about for very long. This episode is being sponsored by Audible. They're the world's largest resource for downloadable audio content like books, periodicals, premium podcasts, and more. For a limited time until June 30th, Audible is offering listeners of this show a free audiobook download of your choice. It's a pretty good deal. Simply visit audiblepodcast.com slash best. That's audiblepodcast.com slash best. Here is your first quote. I am furious at this entire situation. That was somebody finally giving in to the demands that he show some anger by completely failing to convincingly show anger. <laughs> Who? President Obama. Indeed, President Obama. You know what would finally end the oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico? President Obama yelling at it. <laughs> at least that's what the conventional wisdom says. At the White House press briefing on Tuesday, spokesman Robert Gibbs was asked, can you describe the president's rage? Does he yell and scream? What does he do? Gibbs said, quote, well, the president's jaw was clenched. <laughs> pathetic, pathetic, especially because, as it turns out, the president's jaw was clenched around his ivory cigarette holder during a game of canasta. <laughs> now, I, I think it's more of an old-school um, paternal anger he's got. It's like the, when you make your dad so mad that he just looks at you, shaking his head, I'm so disappointed. Yeah, it's just deadly. Yeah, and it hurts so much more than if he just yelled at you. Sadly, the oil spill seems to be immune to that kind I know, of subtle psychological pressure. <laughs> it is true, Obama has handled this problem so far in his usual conciliatory way. He offered, for example, in dealing with the oil spill, he offered to incorporate some of the well's ideas in his plan. <laughs> it could continue to spew, but maybe it could spew something other than oil, perhaps yogurt, something more healthy. 
Then realizing that wasn't working, he decided to go to DEFCON 3. He invited the well to the White House for a beer summit. The well declined to come for fear Joe Biden would show up and outspew it. Now, uh, you're about to hear something that uh, I can't independently verify. It uh, It's on the Internet. And um, I, I would say that um, I recognize, I don't recognize this person by her voice. But I certainly recognize um, her outrage. I've heard it in, in other circumstances with regard to other situations that have happened here in New Orleans. And so I present it uh, with the caveat that uh, it is it 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 purports to be from a person who well knows what she's talking about, and uh, you will hear some sensitive language. The most sensitive language, of course, has been bleeped out, so I don't face a two hundred fifty thousand dollar fine. But uh, judge it accordingly. It's on the subject of booming. Oil Spill Booming School. I've been in oil and gas production and exploration for over 30 years. My salary is a little bigger than God's, which is okay because I'm more useful than he is. I'm a better cook than God is too, but let's get back on subject here. Booming School. Not only is oil spill booming a large industry in the USA, teaching oil spill booming is a large industry in the USA. Most of BP's production and pipeline employees in the USA have attended at least one booming school. Many have attended two or three. Most oil and gas production employees in the USA have attended booming school. Some of us have attended really good, really extensive week or two-week booming schools. BP's production employees have attended the best booming schools. I know this. I've seen them there. BP's drilling folks have mostly not attended booming school. They're sometimes sent to a booming school, but they f*** off in the bar and their bosses sign off on that being okay. Because for drilling hands, booming is for pussies. This is a generalization. Not all drilling hands think that, but most of them do, and I guarantee BP's drilling executives think that booming is for pussies, and that's if they think about booming at all, or even know what it is. That's not so shocking. In the major oil companies, there are likely a few drilling executives that don't even know what drilling is. I'm not kidding. There's good BP drilling people who would, in private, back me up on that. Since this is your first day of booming school, let's go over some important definitions and oil field grammar. Rope is not rope, it is rope. All of it. Every yard of rope is f***ing rope. Every section of boom is f***ing boom. You get the idea. Generally, boom is long and bright orange or yellow. It is not bright orange or yellow so you can see it, dear fledgling boomer, but so governors, senators, presidents, and the media can see it. It has a round, floaty part that floats and a flat skirt that sinks. A rule. The floaty part never floats high enough and the skirt never rides low enough. Some oil will always go over the boom and some will always go under it. Our task is to minimize 
legitimize both. We do that by f***ing proper f***ing booming. It's f***ing obvious. Boom is not meant to contain or catch oil. Boom is meant to divert oil. Boom must always be at an angle to the prevailing wind wave action or surface current. Boom at this angle must always be layered in a f***ing overlap sort of way with another string of boom. Boom must always divert oil to a catch basin or other container from where it can be removed from the f***ing area. Looks kind of involved, doesn't it? It is. But if proper f***ing booming is done properly, you can remove most, by far, most of the oil from a shoreline, and you can do it day after day, week after week, month after month. You can prevent most, by far, most of the shoreline from ever being touched by more than a few transient molecules of oil. Done f***ing properly, a week after the oil stops coming ashore, no one, man nor beast, can ever tell there has been oil anywhere near that shoreline. In practice, there's a reason the best booming schools last weeks. Different types of shoreline, different shapes require different configurations. Your numerous anchor points for this spill, those would be one-yard cement blocks with tie-off buoys, need to be chosen so the boom tenders, you, can adjust the ropes slanting the booms this way and that to account for changes in wind and current. Booms are tended 24-7, by the way, but... Just having learned what you've learned here today, you know enough of the concept to figure it out. You get it. You could go out there and watch how the ping-pong balls, your test oil, glide along the boom. You could see where they missed the catch basins, and you could adjust and reconfigure, and you could perform f***ing proper f***ing booming. By the third day of actual booming, no one on this planet would be better than you. So if you understand it, and all of these production employees understand it, we're talking tens of thousands of people here, then why is most or all of the booming along the Gulf being done wrong? Great fucking question, boomer trainee. One, the booming is being run by a company that concentrates on drilling, and booming is for pussies. Production employees were not invited because they would just cause trouble. This is a drilling operation, so just fuck off. Two, there's not enough boom rope nor anchor on this planet to properly boom the northern Gulf Coast of Mexico. There should be. It's not that much of an expense. Really, it's not. They said they were ready. Having enough materials to perform fucking proper fucking booming is part of being ready. They're not ready, are they? Three, governors, senators, presidents, and most of all, the piece of media don't know what f***ing proper f***ing booming looks like. So you can lay a single line of neon glow orange boom out parallel to the shore for miles, with anchor points every quarter mile to where a good part of it washes up onto the shore like a huge dead orange nightcrawler, and they won't know the difference. Where it manages to stay off the bank, a little two-foot chop you would let your kids frolic in will send all the oil either over or under it. All the oil. On the shore, in the reeds, on the beach, in the nests, oil. So what? It's not going to make CNN send a single correspondent to booming school, is it? Now, the Coast Guard, they know booming. They know what proper booming looks like. Coast Guard Commandant Admiral Thad Allen should be fired today, now, this minute, before he can give another press conference echoing what BP said not five minutes before him. Then he should be f***ing court-martialed and f***ing sent to prison before BP can give him a god job. He's a shameless piece of shit. And so is President Obama, if he can't see that. People who know me and how I've supported our president through thick and thin know how hard it was for me to say that. I'm literally on the verge of tears right this second, but I won't delete it. There it is. I couldn't find any pictures of f***ing proper f***ing booming from along the Gulf because there aren't any. Note, all media contacts, please consult actual booming experts. There are about a hundred. If you can't find one in time for your show tonight, you're a bad f***ing journalist. Now, finding one that's not afraid of BP, that might be a challenge. But you're f***ing up to it. Okay. Uh, caveat uh, taken. And uh, you may have seen President uh, Obama's press conference this week in which he uh, uh, attempted to assert control, mastery uh, over the situation at the same time that he admitted that he didn't know 
whether the head of the Minerals Management Service had been fired or resigned. But he did say the one word that sounded authoritative and commanding. And that word, of course, was boom. Let's take the example of boom. More equipment, more boom. Some of the allocation of boom hasn't been as nimble as it needs to be. We've deployed over 3 million feet of total boom. Total boom. And today, more than 100,000 feet of boom is being surged to Louisiana parishes. This is what I wake up to in the morning, and this is what I go to bed at night thinking about. Total boom. Personally, I'm briefed every day, and I understand that pre-deploying boom would have been the right thing to do, making sure that there's boom right there in the region. More need, uh, needed to be done, and more needs to be done. So what you've got is a whole bunch of boom. Well, well let, let me just make the, the point that I made earlier. So my attitude is the boom would be right there ready to grab. But that's not what I care about right now. What I care about right now is the boom. 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 Boom right there in the region. Boom right there in the region. Boom right there in the region. Boom. And that's why when I went to the Republican caucus uh, just this week, I said to them, Did you plug the hole yet, Daddy? For many people, the incredible devastation of the Deepwater Horizon oil spill and the revelation of patently inadequate oversight of the company and the process by regulatory agencies are undeniable. Something has to change. But not so fast, say corporate media wise men like the New York Times' David Brooks. It's all much more complicated than you sorts understand. Brooks's May 28th column sighed that the debate over the disaster has fallen into, quote, predictably partisan and often puerile categories, close quote. One of which is the liberal view that the government should have more control over industry. Actually, Brooks explains, quote, the real issue has to do with risk assessment. It has to do with the bloody crossroads where complex technical systems meet human psychology, close quote. He goes on to offer a line that Matthew Iglesias pointed out is largely cribbed from a 1996 New Yorker essay by Malcolm Gladwell about various psychological pitfalls that contribute to accidents. So what we really need to do is work on, quote, helping people deal with potentially catastrophic complexity, close quote, so we can, quote, improve the choice architecture, close quote. 
Meanwhile, back on Earth, the Times ran a story May 27th headlined, BP used riskier method to seal well before blast, about how the oil company chose to use a cheaper casing for the well, even though this could lead to a buildup of explosive gases, as it seems did happen. Did BP make this decision because as human beings, they have trouble understanding complexity? Or did they make that choice because they are trying to pump oil as cheaply as possible so they can maximize their profits? And does that suggest they need an outside authority watching over them to ensure that their money grubbing doesn't lead to disaster? Or would that be puerile? I love hearing from listeners who write in to tell me about how this show positively impacts their lives. It reinforces the idea that what I'm doing really may be making a little bit of a difference. What I love even more is that it's the support of the listeners themselves which makes this show possible. If you appreciate the service this show provides, you can make individual donations or become a member and donate $5 a month or even save a couple of bucks by paying for a year in advance. Member support gives me the time it takes to produce 10 shows per month, and in return, members receive access to bonus audio and video content through members-only raw feeds. For details or to sign up, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. Six cylinders underneath the hood, crashing and kicking. Ah, listen to the engine whine. I am going to make it through this year. Hello, and we're here with Republican Representative Richard Martin, friend of the show, uh, from Ohio's Fighting 19th District. So, uh, you know what, can you just, I haven't uh, seen your family in such a long time. How are they doing? They're great, you know. I've got uh, two beautiful kids, three total, but, you know, two are beautiful. (laughs) I never let them know which one's which. It keeps them guessing. That builds character. Uh, Ronnie, actually, uh, you know, he's uh, the captain of the football team, and... um, Ronnie uh, received a head injury playing a little while ago. Oh, really? That's yeah, too bad to hear. What yeah. happened? Um, well, he he uh, collided head on with an, with another fella, and uh, and then he just lost consciousness. And and doctors um, they're afraid that he may have a diminished uh, sense of entitlement. So we're <laughs> we're a little concerned. Um, he hasn't referred to himself in the third person in over three weeks. Oh, that is serious. Yeah, so oh. uh, we're, we're, we are concerned. That happened to my uncle. We had to get him down to Sanibel Island right away. Did you? You know, uh, let's move on. Let's talk about, um, you know, light with what's with all that's happening uh, in, in, in the Gulf right now. Uh, you know, my heart goes out. It's sure. How could your heart not go out? But uh, you know. I guess as long as that oil-burning lamp doesn't go out. But anyway, yeah. the point is, do you think we should, in light of this unbelievable uh, ecological calamity yeah. that is going to, you know, this isn't going away oh, I, in a few I was, years. I was speaking of the, uh, the economical calamity, but, yeah, I suppose ecologically there is stuff uh, that, that could turn badly. Yeah, well, do you, so do you think that we should, in light of the, the, mm-hmm. the ecological part, mm-hmm. do you think we should stop uh, uh, offshore drilling? No, no. I am for uh, offshore, onshore, polyshore. I drill. <laughs> we need to drill. Uh, you know, if we ever want to get a foot up on the Arabs, we 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 need the more Arab. oil. Yeah. You know, in offshore drilling, you know, Jimmy, if God didn't want ocean drilling, it wouldn't have put the oil right in our face, fifty miles offshore, six miles under the ground. <laughs> you know. <laughs> It's uh, well, I wouldn't say, see. A lot of people would say that's not right in our face. 
Uh, well, those people don't have a three-mile-long drill bit that God gave us. <laughs> Listen, Jimmy, the last time I checked, my car didn't run on Pelicans. Okay. Oh, okay. Is, is, is being oily bad? It worked for the Fonz. He was tremendously popular. He I think everyone could use a little more oil. Uh, you know, I blame Obama for this mess. You know, we need to get Americans in there and fix that, not the British. You're telling me that the British are going to uh, stop a burst pipe while keeping their pinky extended? <laughs> no, I guess the answer is no. no to that. No, they're not. I hope BP goes under. I hope every single penny of its $6 billion in profits in the first quarter of 2010 and all of its assets are seized. These should go to pay off the families of the 11 people who died when the rig blew up. These should go to every person whose business was ruined. And these should go to restore the Gulf of Mexico to the extent that it's possible whenever the oil stops spewing. But that's not all. Tony Hayward and the other executives of BP should be tried in criminal court for manslaughter, for destruction of property, for criminal negligence. When someone sets fire to the neighbor's house and kills 11 people and the fire then destroys lots of businesses, you can bet that person would be tried to the fullest extent under the law. BP did all that and more. It's poisoning an entire sea. Finally, after six weeks, Barack Obama and Eric Holder are coming to their senses and are opening a case against BP. Between that case and the myriad of private claims against the company, BP should be sunk as it deserves to be. There's no time to cry Days keep passing But they're all the same Seasons never change And the years are long All the years are long talk about oil so we can get that off our plate because i have to say you know for all the time i've been doing this show and shows like it sometimes people come up to me and they say you know what i, I know you do a good show but i just can't look at politics it's depressing the news is depressing which i never thought was a really good thing to say because it's a democracy you kind of have to know what's going on it's that you're not cleaner <laughs> somehow people thought they were cleaner you know i don't follow the news it's dirty it's depressing i'm better than that <laughs> But I can't turn on the TV now. Uh, it, it's, too, it's like too depressing. And today seemed to be the day, because we're finally seeing images of oily birds, yeah. that made people in this country finally start really freaking out yeah. about this oil spill. And I, I just wish Obama would 
would kind of do what that umpire did and yeah. say, you know what, I missed the call. I shouldn't have been for offshore drilling. If the umpire can do it, why can't Obama do it? Uh, Fair enough, but I think, you know, uh, we all have to make that confession at this point. I mean, we're talking about, uh, you know, all of us being addicts. I, I, I agree 100% with, with, with Paul. And we are the ones that have pushed our energy workers to do riskier and riskier things. We're asking our coal miners, they lost their lives to, going deeper and deeper, d drilling deeper holes. We've asking our oil workers to go farther and further out, drilling deeper and deeper holes. America's future is not down those holes. If you but, want to see the future, you got to look up but wait a to second. the sun who and the wind. Who that's the future for America. Not, not down those holes. Who supports, who supports coal mining and oil drilling? It's actually the people who are in those states. The, even with all this going on on the coast, people are still for drilling. I, I'm sorry, but my sympathy is somewhat abated for people who still want to keep these uh, institutions going. But, I mean, part of it, Bill, is... This is, this is a defining moment, because I think this is more than an oil spill. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, it may not be that depressing, because I think people look and see in this oil spill the impotence of government, the indictment of corporations which don't act in the public interest, right. political money which is polluting our system as the oil is polluting these waters. And it's a wake-up call if you got some leadership. And I do think, like that umpire, President Obama, if pushed... He's smart. He's really smart. He looks at the facts on the ground and can say, hey, made well, a mistake. It's time to use this crisis, as all crisis presidents have done. But he's not. To he's seize a, the opportunity. No, yeah, he was in but, Pittsburgh yesterday. He said, we cannot end our dependence on fossil fuels overnight. That's why I've supported offshore oil production. That's not what I want to hear at this moment. That's not taking advantage of this crisis. It's true, though. I mean, and it, well, I, you I know, think... it was true in 1975. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, not... that, th this is the wrong statement. I'm sorry. <clears throat> no, I want, I, I'm relieved to have a president that tells it like it is and is realistic about it as opposed to a president divorced from reality telling us what we want to hear. Yeah, but Look, what, it's but our what is reality fault. Here? This whole thing is our fault. You know, right. We've I, had I disagree 30 with that. years to have a carbon tax and an oil tax yeah. in this country. Right. If you really wanted to get away from oil, tax it. Well, that would help our deficit. Or, it would shift everything. But this country refuses to add a dime to the gas tax. It's the cheapest gas in the world. And as long as that's happening, we're going to be doing this. And until we affect and, and address our own iniquities on this, we, nothing's we, going to happen. We still have 500... <laughs> we still have 591 other deep water wells. We have 4,515 shallow water wells. Oh. You know, the Republican uh, notion about debt reduction was always starve the beast. Yeah. In other words, cut off the money first, then you're going to have to figure it out. Why don't we cut off the oil first? And then we'll have to figure that out. Well, that would be better than Obama. So you don't want to broadcast the well, show? <laughs> well, let, let me just say well, one thing no, about wait, this, yeah. well, Offshore Honestly, drilling uh, accounts for a very small yeah, amount of the... It we does. Don't, we don't, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of myths here that we need to deal with. First of all, the idea that we can drill and burn our way out of our problems in America is completely false. We can invent and invest our way out. Yes. We can't drill and burn. We use 25% of the world's oil. If you drill everything, we only got 4% of the, of the reserves. So, so automatically, you're talking about... Right. We're dependent we're, we're on Mideast. Oil exactly. as long as we're dependent on oil. Yeah, and, and so so I think that's that's critical. The other thing that's critical we have to, we have to look at is uh, we do have all these oil wells out there, and it's like cockroaches. All right, this is not the only rickety rig out there. It's just like cockroaches. You, you get one cockroach in your house, and you say, oh, it came in on the pizza box. 
You're lying to yourself. You got one cockroach, you got a thousand cockroaches. You got one rickety rig, you got hundreds of them out there. So we need to not only have a moratorium on the existing, uh, yes. but we also need to look at each and every one of those. And what you're going to find is the risk. We're talking about an incredible amount of pain for a little tiny bit of pain. Yeah, There's very little oil out there, but, 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 but enough to wreck the whole uh, ecology of it. And here's something, Bill, which isn't sexy but true, and I think Van will back me up. Efficiency, conservation, these small retrofitting, that's a really fancy word, but retrofitting, 40%, I think, will move us toward this energy independence. What is Weaning retrofitting? Us. It's going into buildings and making sure that they're efficient. Right. This stuff, we're living in this inefficient world. But the other thing is subsidies. Crazy what we're doing with government subsidies. We're, we're, we're addicted and subsidizing the worst. Okay. But, Bill, it's about right. price. So long as yeah. oil and gas is far cheaper and far easier to generate electricity than anything else, yeah. the market okay. will keep going. So unless we reprice it by taxes, nothing will happen. I agree. I believe... All right. Let's, All right, but you got Let's move on, because it's too so depressing. <clears throat> You can now support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestoftheleft.com and use our Amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your support. Over the past few weeks, some news organizations have reported a disturbing trend. They say they've been denied access to beaches near and the airspace over the Gulf oil spill, denied access by British Petroleum employees. BP is, of course, the company responsible for the spill. A CBS News crew trying to reach an oil-soaked beach taped an incident documenting the problem. Near the end of the clip, you hear a faraway voice saying, this is BP's rules, not ours. When we tried to reach the beach, a boat of BP contractors with two Coast Guard officers on board told us to turn around under threat of arrest. Just the suggestion that BP is making decisions about the movements of journalists caused an outcry. And by midweek, the Coast Guard had stepped in to clarify its media policy and to reiterate that BP is definitely not making the rules. But by that point, a few journalists had already been running in circles, including Times-Picayune photojournalist Ted Jackson, trying to do a routine flyover. Jackson had hired a seaplane to get aerial shots of the spill. Typically, you call the FAA and request permission to get below the temporary flight restriction, and the flight restriction that day was 3,000 feet, which is way too high to make a picture. So we requested to be able to fly lower than that, and the authority asked who was on the flight. And he said, I have the Times-Picayune photographer. And um, the answer was immediately no, then. You cannot have this exemption. The uh, seaplane company owner asked him, can I get your name so I can put your name in the file of people who are denying this request? He told him his name, and he said that he was a BP contractor hired to handle aviation requests. 
And that was just very disturbing to think that I was being denied access from a BP representative. Now, for a newspaper to invest in the kind of seaplane and boat rides isn't nothing. Are you getting to the point where some of these wild goose chases are going to limit the amount of journalism you can do? Well, that's exactly what's happening. You're spending $1,500 for a seaplane or a helicopter to fly two and a half hours or three hours or whatever it takes, and you get there and you're turned around. You just can't afford to do that day after day after day. And so you just quit taking those flights. Have you heard similar stories from colleagues? The Associated Press has had problems. CBS, I understand, had problems getting to sites. I know the Coast Guard has been trying to take some reporters and photographers to the scene. Have you participated in any of these excursions? Yes, we've done several of those flights. And uh, those are great because it gives you the access. You don't want to turn down an opportunity. But I kind of liken that to going to Paris and shooting your pictures out the tour bus window. It's just not the way to do journalism. You don't get to investigate. You don't get to get off the beaten path and to see what's really out there. You didn't get the sense they were propaganda tours, that they were showing you what they wanted you to see and, and hiding from you what they didn't? I didn't get the sense of that. I try not to see the world that way. But at the same time, I know that I'm not being able to visually ask the questions that I want to ask. A good example of that was just the other day when I went on the airboat tour to a cleanup site. And uh, through no fault of the Coast Guard, I mean, they, they organized it very well. They got us on the boat. And once there, it was very difficult to get the boat driver to position into an area that I needed the picture because he wasn't working for me. He was working for BP. Now, we're speaking on Thursday. You say that as of Wednesday, things seem to have changed. Correct. We are now able to fly at uh, 1,500 foot ceiling instead of 3,000, which is a huge difference. And I think if we made a request in the air to go lower, I think the decision would be made on a case-by-case basis if it was safe or not. And, and we're fine with that. We just don't want to be summarily dismissed because we're media. <laughs> All right, Ted. Many thanks. Thank you very much. Ted Jackson is a photojournalist at the New Orleans Times-Picayune. Lieutenant Commander Chris O'Neill is the Chief of Media Relations at the U.S. Coast Guard. I asked him what role the Coast Guard plays in granting access to reporters. We have a leading role in the process. You have the Coast Guard that serves as the federal on-scene coordinator, ultimately responsible for making decisions. But those decisions get made in a collaborative environment where you have representation from the responsible party in this bill, which in this case is BP, you have the Coast Guard, and then you have representatives from the state and local governments. We spoke to a photographer from the Times-Picayune who told us that after a whole bevy of complaints from himself and his colleagues that things suddenly changed along around Wednesday. Is that your view of the situation, that there was a problem that got fixed? I don't know if there was a problem that got fixed. I think we reiterated policy that had been clearly communicated specifically reminding all parties involved in the response that the media shall at all times be afforded access to response operations and shall only be asked to leave an area when their presence is in violation of an existing law or regulation or clearly violates a written site safety plan or their presence interferes with effective operations. We tell people uh, specific steps they have to take when they encounter that kind of situation. For example, if the presence violates a part of the site safety plan, 
the workers required to tell the media how they might remedy this situation without having to depart. And it could be something as simple as putting on splash goggles or some other protective gear. Well, I guess not everybody got the memo. We have the incident where the Times-Picayune reporter is told, no, because he's a journalist, he can't go below the 3,000-foot flight threshold. Well, sure. There's not unlimited access, and that would be, frankly, unsafe and unproductive. Flight restrictions are in place for a number of reasons. One of the primary reasons was for the protection of the wildlife. There's also a matter of of deconflicting airspace, so, so there have to be constraints. Granted, there's been a limited number of untoward episodes reported, But, you know, I think it's fair to say that if people think that BP is in any way calling the shots on media access, that they would freak out, we would freak out. I can actually absolutely assure you that the U.S. Coast Guard and the federal government are the ones setting media policy for the Deepwater Horizon response. I think these incidents that have been reported are isolated. They're unfortunate. They're regrettable. It leaves a bad taste in anybody's mouth. And certainly not the outcome we want. And I think the more than 500 or so media embeds and the coverage that the international community and the national community are seeing in the media of the event shows that we have a very proactive policy and are working very, very hard to embed as many media as possible. has made some claims, uh, one of which is, hey, you know what, uh, we let the media cover everything. I, I don't talk about blocking media access. Just silly. No, 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 we would never do that. So, But that's curious because a local news team went down there to cover what was happening and talk to some of the employees on a public beach. Let's see how it turned out for them. Uh, let's go to clip number seven. BP Chief Operating Officer Doug Settles released a letter to all media outlets saying in part, quote, recent media reports have suggested that individuals involved in the cleanup operation have been prohibited from speaking to the media, and this is simply untrue. BP has not and will not prevent anyone working in the cleanup operation from sharing his or her own experiences or opinions. Every security guard here has given the instructions to every single news crew. You can be with it with outside of 100 yards of the workers along the boom. And who's saying that? Because nobody can tell me unless you're the Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office, you're the Coast Guard or you're the military, can you tell me where to go on this public beach? I can tell you where to go because I'm employed to keep this be- I'm employed to keep this beach safe. And right now, those are my instructions. I have to keep the workers safe as well. Uh, I'm going to go and try and talk to a worker under the tent. Can I do that? No, no. He's on a break. You are not allowed to interview any workers. The workers can talk to the media, according to the BP CEO two days ago. That email, still hasn't trickled down to you all? We've already heard that one, too. Yeah. What do you mean you've heard that one? It's true. The email does not say, does not explicitly give you permission to do that. <laughs> there are quotes from Doug Suttles that say, 
no one has been barred access to talk to the media and that it's a misunderstanding and the word hasn't trickled down to all the appropriate channels yet. That's what he said two days ago. So two days later, that word still hasn't trickled down. The word, the word has been, it's been briefed to us. By whom? Who's briefing you all? That's not important right now. Well, it's if you're telling me that I can't important. do it, it's important that I know who's briefing you. What's important right now is you cannot talk to the workers. You're interfering with their jobs right now. If there's somebody on break, I'm interfering with his job? Yes. You're interfering with his rest. Sir, you cannot talk to anybody there. Can I yell from a distance? No. I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. Sir, you cannot interview the workers. Okay, that was that was awesome. I, my favorite part was you're interfering with his rest. By the way, I try to get a break over here, okay? <laughs> Eating some ding dongs, try to rest up, and you're interfering with it, okay? My second favorite part is safety and security. Really? What's he gonna do? Attack him with his mic? Okay, well, what part of this is safety or security? My ass. You're actually, of course, covering your ass. That's what's uh, happening. And so they're like, okay, so who briefed you? He's like. That's not important. <laughs> it's not that the memo didn't get down there. It's that they said, yeah, 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 we gave the memo to the press to pretend that they can come in here and, <laughs> and, and talk to people, but make sure you ignore that and don't let them talk to anybody. Finally, of course, because he's right, and it is a public beach, of course he can go up further, and that guy's not a cop, right? And so they talk to the authorities, and they, they realize that we have to let him on. Uh, that reporter wound up going and talking to the... Uh, employees there, and as he was, and as he was interfering with the arrest, uh, the security guard kept saying uh, to all the workers, don't talk to him, you don't have to talk to him, you don't have to talk to him, which is of course another way of saying, if you talk to him, we're going to fire him. Okay, keep it real, right? So what BP would never interfere with the press talking to their employees or getting on the beach and seeing what's happening in the water or anything, no, no, would never do that. Don't be silly, just trust BP. Everything's going to be fine. Susan, whose PR skills haven't been slick? Uh, Obama. Mm. The Gulf of Mexico oil spill is escalating now into something quite horrific, actually. Obama uh, has come out and said he wants to know whose ass to kick, which is lovely. It's like he's been stuck for words, you know, rooted around in the drawer in the Oval Office and found one of George W. Bush's old speeches and thought, that'll do, I'll just see whose ass am I going to kick. <laughs> so uh, he's been criticised for not being vehement enough in what he's saying about it, and so he started doing things like calling BP British Petroleum, which is the Sunday name and my father when I'd done something wrong he would use my Sunday name so it'd be Susan Grace Calman what are you doing it's the same thing British Petroleum do you think they've got a middle name we're just waiting for that to come out <laughs> probably Agnes British Agnes Petroleum it's cost BP so far 870 million pounds 
I mean, I imagine on the plus side they've got enough nectar points for a free holiday, but it's... <laughs> to call it British Petroleum, unless you're a nationalised industry, you can't just tower all of us with your crude oil. And that Tony Hayward guy, I mean, he might as well sit there wearing a Pearly King costume. <laughs> Look, frankly, all this stuff is really getting on my tits. And you sort of think maybe it would just dissipate things if Obama did just walk in and kick his ass. That would be quite good. Because he said, we are going to restore everything back on the coastline exactly how it was before the oil spill. And you think, that's not really a very good apology. That's like dropping a hod full of bricks on someone and then saying, I'm going to pick up all of those bricks. <laughs> Apparently BP have been buying search terms on Google. So if you type in oil spill, you're redirected to an estate agent offering cut price deals on property in the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> Lots of headlines in the papers recently saying that Obama had his boot on the pensioners of Britain's throats. Oh. It wasn't that long ago we thought he was quite a nice guy. <laughs> and now he's stopping our pensioners getting caravans at 65. Is there nothing that man won't do? I, <laughs> I don't really know why Obama is cross with British anyway, to be honest, because I mean, it used to be the case that the Americans, if they wanted oil, they would have to invade somewhere, whereas we're actually now delivering it right to their doorstep. <laughs> You, you can't make people happy sometimes. <laughs> President Obama has said he would have sacked BP boss Tony Hayward if he'd been working for him as relations between the oil company and the administration continue to sour. This is the biggest ecological disaster to hit America since George Bush tried to mow the White House lawn with a plough and some napalm. <laughs> According to The Guardian, unemployed people are being used in the clean-up operation because they're much more absorbent than golf balls or mud, and so much cheaper. I want to live like common people. I want to do whatever common people do. I want to sleep with common people. I want to sleep with common people like you. Well, what else could I do? I said, I'll see what I can do. took her to a supermarket. I don't know why, but I had to start it somewhere. So it started there. I said, pretend you've got no money. She just laughed and said, oh, you're so funny. I said, yeah? Well, I can't see anyone else smiling in here. When President Obama returns to this coast tomorrow for his third visit since the BP oil disaster began, my guess is that he will feel concern for the welfare of this region. He will feel frustration at the failure to keep oil off these shores. He will feel pressure as an executive, as a leader, as a politician to do something more about this crisis. But I am also pretty sure that President Obama will feel disgusted because what he will encounter when he gets out into this oil is disgusting. The oil now coating the wildlife and the beaches of this beautiful coast stinks. It stinks, it smells bad, it is filthy, it is slimy, it is sticky, it is toxic, even if Mississippi Governor Haley Barber wants to say that it's not. It is irredeemably foul, and it is everywhere. And when you come upon it in person, having only seen it on television, at least if you're me, you are overwhelmed by the post-apocalyptic sensory experience of a man-made disaster irretrievably destroying part of our country. You are disgusted that BP put this ocean and this coast and the communities inland in jeopardy. Disgusted at the billions of dollars of quarterly profits that lined the oil industry's pockets and deepened their wells and didn't do a thing to prevent this. You are disgusted that the government let BP and the rest of the oil industry do it. 
disgusted that American leaders scream drill baby drill without considering the consequences, all in the name of whoring themselves for a few votes during the few months that gasoline prices were rising. Disgusted that the booms off this coast meant to protect it mostly aren't doing anything. Disgusted that those booms remain largely unmanned. Disgusted that there isn't much more to do, except maybe put more people here to try to make this totally inadequate technology try to work less horribly than it does. This, this, this is not Hurricane Katrina. This isn't another Katrina. This isn't another anything. This is a whole new thing happening to us. This is America's Deepwater Horizon disaster. We all own it forever. And right now, right here in Grand Isle and all along the Gulf Coast, there are really only three things that matter. Stopping the oil from flowing, protecting the coast and the ocean from the millions of gallons of oil that have already spilled, and making sure that this never, ever happens again. You can diagnose whether we have a functioning media in this country by whether or not the country understands that this is a vile environmental mega disaster. You can diagnose whether we have a functioning political system in this country by whether or not the result of this mega disaster is change. Big oil has been too rich to care about what it was putting us all at risk for. And we've been too cowardly to change direction and break free from them. If that changes because of our national disgust at this disaster, then America's political system in 2010 works. If it doesn't change, then it doesn't work. Well, it's dark in the city. I've lost my pride. The lights in the streets hide the stars from my eyes. It's been a long, long time coming, but I know change is gonna come. And it's too hard living, but I'm afraid to die, cause I don't know what's up there, just beyond the sky. It's been a long, long time coming, but I know a change is gonna come. And I miss my family, my little she is my princess, I'd give her the world. It's been a long, long time coming, but I know the change is going to come. To the extent that you hear me on this program or elsewhere uh, opining or, or yakking about the oil spill, I know, ladies and gentlemen, I know absolutely nothing about, a, about how to remediate a deep water, unplanned, leakage of oil. So uh, uh, as far as I can tell, that qualifies me to be chief executive of BP. I will say this. There is a regulation. A, yeah, regulation. That's what they call them. In Canada, it's called the same season regulation that says if you're going to drill an exploratory well, you have to drill the relief well during the same season. That is to say before winter comes. They have winter in Canada. And um, had that been the case in this country, of course, the leak, the gusher, would uh, long have been over by now. Uh, that is a regulation that could be um, promulgated. Thank you. My pleasure. By the, by the president, I believe, without the concurrence of Congress. Next time he comes down here, I'll, I'll try to tug his sleeve. But it is, um, you know, we're all looking at those photographs. Of the uh, of the birds and other creatures who are stained by oil, and it is uh, 
because we humans have that thing that we're, you know, if we see those pictures, if you hear about it, eh. if you see those pictures, it's tragic and heartrending. I just want to say this. Feel sorry as you as you might or want to help uh, with the rescuing of those those birds. But the creatures who are really seriously covered in oil are the Democratic and Republican elected representatives of us. And uh, as far as I can tell, they cannot be cleaned off. Thanks for listening, everyone. So if you made it all the way to the end of the uh, most recent show, then you may have heard me say that uh, that it wouldn't be until this episode that you just listened to that I am uh, I'm talking to you live again after the big conference last week. So I now have a chance to uh, tell you all about it and how it went. Uh, the basics are that it went well and, you know, the trip and, and everything involved was just about as flawless as it could have been. So I'll, I'll get into more details. I actually have probably multiple shows worth of uh, uh, details to, to give about that. Before I get to that, I wanted to uh, mention again about uh, a Chicago meetup, uh, attending Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. I'm very excited about this. I've been waiting for months, uh, but I live in Chicago and will be attending for the very first time myself a uh, live taping of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, a great NPR show that is featured on this podcast all the time, so I'm sure you know of it. I will be attending the July 29th live taping, and tickets for that go on sale through their website on the 18th, and that's just in a couple of days from when this show is posted. And tickets do sell out kind of fast, so whenever you hear me saying this, go check the website right away if there's any chance you can make it. Bookmark the page where they sell them so you can uh, make sure you get in as, as early as possible, and so on and so on. So again, I'm going to the July 29th showing of that, and would love it if, uh, you know, Chicago friends and listeners would join me. So now, in really broad terms, here's what I got out of the conference, and I, I was heartened by this. The, in the progressive movement, movement, there are basically two ways to go about supporting the ideals of progressivism. There's either the, uh, you know, get Democrats elected and then support them and, you know, work for them and, you know, push for the Democratic agenda and, you know, whatever, whatever they do, support them because if you don't support them, then there's the possibility that they will, you know, lose their election and be replaced by a Republican and that would be disastrous. So always support Democrats. That's, that's one way of thinking about it. The other is get progressives elected and fight them from the left because the other side is going to be fighting them from the right. So you, you know, use your, as, as many carrots and sticks as you've got to actually fight them on the issues and pull them to the left. As you may guess from my little description, I'm in the second camp. I'm in the push the people you get elected, you know, push them to the left or pull them from the left because politicians are going to try to make everybody happy. They're going to try to find the middle ground where they seem reasonable to everyone. And 
the the middle ground is shifted by the people who are making noise. So the people on the right make a lot of noise. You have to make a lot of noise on the left in order to make the center of the argument be at least in the middle, if not, you know, if Democrats should actually be pulled further over to the left because theoretically they actually agree with us. So what I was very excited to hear is that that was basically the consensus of the kind of the movers and shakers and the progressive establishment of the grassroots. And, you know, that's basically who was at this conference. It was you know not chock full of a lot of politicians. Uh, you know, politicians came and spoke, but the people who were there were a lot of people who just they kind of work on the ground. They volunteer. They they do the work behind the scenes. They uh, run or work for organizations who push for progressive policies. And really, the very, very broad consensus among everyone there was, yeah, we can't just support Obama for him uh, to do whatever it is he's doing. We need to push him because we've all been a little bit disappointed with the way he's been going. He's moving a little bit too far to the right. He's, uh, you know, conceding too much to the right and to the Republicans. And so for those people whose, you know, their lives are dedicated to advocacy and policymaking and grassroots activism, the vast majority of them were not making the argument that we should support Obama no matter what he does because he can do no wrong. So I found that very heartening myself. So lastly, of course, I'm going to finish up by thanking people who are making this show possible Jessica M. signed up for her membership back on uh, on March 17th, signed up for a monthly membership, so been sticking with the show ever since, and then uh, Todd D. signed up for his monthly membership on May 18th, and uh, and I want to thank Todd for going above and beyond the, uh, the regular membership level just to help out the show a little bit more. Huge thanks to both of those members and every single member who makes the show possible. Obviously, I just, I couldn't do it without the, the support of you guys. So that is going to do it for today. Everyone, please continue to support the show in the easiest way possible just by spreading the word about it to all of your friends, neighbors, compatriots, and so forth. You can stay connected to the show and help spread the word online even uh, by joining up at Twitter and Facebook. We're on both of those. For details on the show, including links to all the sources and all the music used in this and every episode, all of that info is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 10 times a month now, thanks entirely to the support of the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Thought lines now black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor
Hi there, it's Mike. Here's another unsolicited moment for the podcast listeners. Some things have changed since I sent my first message to Jay. The main change? More podcasts. Ten a month. And there's the iPod apps, the bonus clips divided into different categories for the subscribers. And now Jay has made this podcast his full-time job. Plus, Jay won the Best Produced Podcast of the Year Award. By using the Amazon link on the Best of the Left podcast site, you can contribute with every purchase you make at reduced prices on just about every Thing. At Amazon, you can buy music, downloads, furnish your apartments, fill up your cupboards with linens, food, computer supplies, appliances, and on and on and on. Not just the Amazon DVDs and books. In fact, it's hard to name anything that you can't buy at Amazon. And you're contributing at the same time without paying a penny more. Now, my Social Security retirement check doesn't allow for much shopping, but I still manage to make sure Jay has my $5 subscription month after month. It's great to know that even on a meager income, I'm making a big difference in our world, keeping the Best of the Left podcast going and growing and ensuring progressive concepts are introduced, heard, and passed on. I'm proud to be a part of that, and you will be too. Do your part. Do what you can. Thanks.